following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Tracy and I sometimes play games with our kids around the dinner table. It's kind of a way to, you know, have fun as a family together and to ensure that nobody gets up too soon from the table, as is sometimes a problem in uh, families with young kids. But we introduced a new game to our kids just yesterday, and it's called I'm Thinking of a Time When. Now, I know it needs a better title, um, but that's what we're calling it for right now. I'm Thinking of a Time When, and basically what it is is 20 questions but instead of trying to arrive at an animal, vegetable, mineral, you try to arrive at a, a memory, something that happened to your family together. And you, you get there the same way by um, everybody asks the one person questions that can be answered with yes or no. And eventually you come to this, um, this shared memory. And so I went first, and the memory that I chose was the... Uh, the dinner we had on the last day of our summer vacation in Maine this year, um, where we got a dozen lobsters and boiled them right there on the beach, and everybody in the family, extended family who was there that day, ate lobsters. Um, So you can see the picture right here. Uh, The one on the right is still alive, but not for long. Um, (laughs) It was a great memory, and the kids got to that one pretty quickly. And then Tracy got one that stumped us for the longest time, um, and her, her memory that we had to get to was the day that we adopted our cat, Charlie Parker, from, um, yeah, my Wi-Fi networks and my pets all have jazz names. Um, and uh, th- several of you forwarded me this email, this solicitation email from Lollipop Farm, the Humane Society, where we adopted the cat because it had the picture of the day that we adopted him. They took a picture and they've kept it in their files and they're apparently now using it to compel people to take surveys and give money and so forth. <laughs> But he's a pretty good cat, so I think it's okay. But it took us forever to get that one. And then Teddy, my five-year-old son Teddy, came up with the memory of the time that we tried to go to the library, but it was closed, and so we went to Rita's for Italian ice instead. Now, that memory was only one day old, (laughs) but it was a good memory. It was a good memory. And we had the best time with this game, and... um, it occurred to me that these, these shared memories, these common experiences that we have as a family, they're so important to the structure of our family because they gather us around common experiences. And um, they tell us that we are one unit. We're together. We're not just I, but we're a we. Uh, and in fact, there was a study that was done with two groups of kids. One group of kids knew their family's history better than the other. So they knew things like where their parents grew up, what their grandparents did for work, uh, how many uncles and aunts they had, that kind of stuff. And the other group didn't know as many of those things. And the group of kids who knew more about their family uh, history turned out that that correlated with having higher self-esteem, uh, greater sense of autonomy, and, uh, and understanding that their, that their family was um, functional and, and successful. Isn't that interesting how knowing more of your family's history correlates to those things? So shared memories are really important in families, but they're also important in other communities, non-familial communities, uh, including uh, faith communities like our church. And so today, I want to talk to you about remembering and forgetting. I want to talk to you about remembering and forgetting uh, specifically as it concerns our 
the, the story of our faith. And this is really the, the perfect way for us to kick off uh, the new study series that we're doing uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. The series is called The Second Law. And we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy for the next four weeks at least. And as I've begun to plan it a little bit more closely, we may extend that. It just kind of depends on how long, how much time it takes us to get through some of this stuff in the book. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But we're starting it today. And so because I know that there's a wide range of uh, understanding or knowledge about the Bible and what the book of Deuteronomy might be, I want to start today by giving you a little bit of background about what the book is and what it has in it. Uh, And then in the course of doing that, I'll be able to explain why I think the topic of remembering and forgetting is a great way to kick off a new series in this particular book. So, uh, Deuteronomy is a book in the Bible. It's from the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures, what we Christians would call the Old Testament, which means it's in the first section of the Bible. It's actually pretty close to the front in this case. Um, And the English name for the book, Deuteronomy, actually comes from Greek, which, I don't know, it's a Hebrew text that we got Greek words that made us the English name. Don't ask me to explain it, except that I know that deutero means second, and namos means law, and so deutero, namos, deuteronomy means the second law. And uh, it's called the second law, it's called Deuteronomy, because a good portion of the book is actually a restatement of the Jewish laws. Laws for holiness, laws for worship, laws for community uh, leadership, laws for social structure, and so on. And much of those laws had already been given, had already been written down and recorded in two of the books that precede Deuteronomy in the Bible, particularly in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. You already have a lot of this content. As a matter of fact, my rabbi friend, Kelly Levy, who some of you have met and some of you remember we had a a video interview with her uh, a few months ago, she confided in me that she doesn't really like the book of Deuteronomy because when the the Jewish lectionary prescribes Deuteronomy, it's already just gotten through with prescribing Exodus and Leviticus, and so she feels like she has to give sermons and teach lessons on the same material that she just got done with, and she finds that very frustrating. Uh, And so it might cause us to ask the question, why the repetition? Why is there a second giving of the law in the Old Testament, in these Jewish scriptures. Well, there's a pivotal moment in the life of God's chosen people, in the life of the Israelites, that family of Yahweh, where they have, um, they've just gotten through with a long period of wandering. Uh, some of you know the story of the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt for generation after generation, and then Moses uh, was raised up by God and freed the people from um, captivity and from slavery, and they escaped from Egypt, and they went out uh, into, toward the promised land that God had said he would give them, and they got to the edge of it, and they were like, mm, it looks kind of scary, the grapes aren't that good anyway, we don't want to do it. And so then they ended up, instead of going right into the promised land, wandering for an entire generation, for 40 years. And they, uh, they encounter uh, sickness and hunger and thirst, and enemies, and all kinds of bad stuff out there in the wilderness. And it's at the end of that period of wandering where they finally come back to the edge of the promised land, to the edge of Canaan, and they're looking in, and they're about to go in and take this land which God has promised to give to them. And what Moses, the leader, does is gather the whole community together on the edge of the promised land, and he basically plays a game 
a big community religious game of I'm thinking of a time when. <laughs> he tells them, this is where we came from. This is how we got here. This is what Yahweh requires of us. He tells them, remember and do not forget. Time after time after time in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people to remember what God has done and tells them not to forget their covenant with God, that sacred relationship of mutual trust between God and God's people. See, uh, Moses knows that the enormous change that the people are about to experience, going from decades of a wandering nomadic life into a new reality in which they are suddenly the dominant ruling culture, where they suddenly have a permanent, stable, by comparison anyway, existence, that that's going to completely alter the character of who they are. And what he wants to do in that moment of transition is anchor them in their shared past so that they don't lose their primary sense of identity, which of course is as God's chosen people, which of course is as this family that has been blessed and has become as numerous as the stars. There's this beautiful verse in the book of Deuteronomy, I think it's in chapter 10, where he says to them, you went down to Egypt 70 persons, and now God has made you as numerous as the stars in the heavens. They're a family that has been blessed by Yahweh, specifically so that they can be a blessing to their neighbors. And all of this is what their identity is. This is who they are supposed to be. And Moses does not want to lose that, doesn't want them to lose that as they transition from the nomadic life into the stable life of the promised land. And so he reminds them, he tells them, remember. He tells them, do not forget. And some of the things he reminds them of, reminds them of are positive experiences, times when God uh, offered great deliverance or provision. And others of the reminders are of negative experiences when they rebelled against God and the results were not good. He tells them, remember and do not forget. Deuteronomy 5.15, he says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, isn't this interesting, by the way, that this is the second giving of the Ten Commandments. first one is in Exodus. And this one has the, uh, the commandments, but they're kind of said differently. And the, the reasons given, when there are reasons given, are different reasons. In this case, the reason for the Sabbath observance is remember that you were a slave for 400 years in Egypt and you had to work seven days a week, 365 days a year, year after year after year after year. So you probably ought to observe a Sabbath once a week and take a day off. Five different times Moses uses the word remember and follows it with the phrase that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 8 Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commandments. That's, not, uh, that's probably a painful memory. 40 years of wandering. 
Deuteronomy 7.18, Do not be afraid of your enemies. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. He tells them, remember. And he also tells them, do not forget. By the way, do you notice the difference in tone between those two things? If I'm going to the grocery store and uh, my wife Tracy says to me, remember the milk, that's one thing. (laughs) If I'm going to the grocery store and my wife Tracy says, do not forget the milk... You hear the difference in tone there? <laughs> uh, the do not forget one somehow seems to imply that I'm the type of person who might forget the milk, which I mean, come on. I always forget the milk. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 4.23, Be careful not to forget the covenant that the Lord your God made with you and not to make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Do not forget the covenant. And then it's, Uh, also followed up a few verses later with, he will not forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them. You might forget, but God won't. Deuteronomy 6.12, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now we have three more instances of this reminder of being in slavery, except this time instead of the word remember, it's the word don't forget. Deuteronomy 8.11, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. And yes, a good portion of the book is Moses uh, listing out the commandments and ordinances and statutes. So the entire book of Deuteronomy is punctuated by these repeated admonitions, remember and do not forget, remember and do not forget. All the major themes of the book are set up by the idea of remembrance. And we're going to look more closely and deeply at some of these themes in the next few weeks. Themes of uh, what it means to be a neighbor versus being an enemy. Um, Themes of blessings and curses and what types of behaviors lead to one and the other. Themes of love and obedience and holiness We're going to dig into those in the next few weeks. But it's all framed by remember and do not forget. By the way, uh, we're going to look especially at the occasions uh, when Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy is one of the books that Jesus quoted most often in his ministry. And so we, uh, as Christian people, read the entire Bible through the lens of Jesus, right? Jesus is the ultimate word of God. Jesus is what God has to say. And so anything else we find in the words of the Bible, we understand that by looking at it, uh, if you'll pardon the $12 seminary word, uh, Christologically. Uh, I just finished paying off my seminary loans and the words were more than $12 a piece. But but that's a good one. (laughs) Probably worth the price of admission. We look at the whole Bible through the lens of Jesus, and so we're going to look at Deuteronomy, especially through the lens of how Jesus quoted it in his ministry. By the way, we'll also consider ways in which um, Jesus' teachings seem to be different in tone or character or even content from the teachings in Deuteronomy. How do we make sense of that fact? Is there actually a contradiction there? If there is, why and how do we deal with it? So that's some of what we'll be doing in the next few weeks. And I'm really looking forward to exploring this book with all of you over the next month and maybe a little bit longer. But here's the one thing I really want us to consider today. Reading this book, hearing these repeated admonitions to remember and not forget, 
it ought to inspire us to remember our own stories with God. It ought to cause us to stop and think about where we've been and how we got to where we are, both in our individual lives and in our life together as artists in church. Because here's the thing. Moses did not go door to door on the brink of the promised land to every Israelite family and say, remember and don't forget. No, because the Israelites never conceived of their faith in God as an individual transactional kind of thing, the way we do in the Western world. The faith of the Israelites was always bound up in their community with each other. And so he gathered the whole community together and tells them as one, remember, do not forget. I'm thinking of a time when something happened to our family. right? And in my opinion, so many of the things that we as Christians get wrong wrong, wrong, when we read the Bible, is that it's the result of forgetting that the Jewish people, out of which our faith emerged, always thought of faith as a communal thing, right? This is particularly uh, problematic when it comes to one of those great um, debates in the church about predestination, right? You want to get predestination wrong, wrong, wrong? Read it through the lenses of Western American Christianity where it's all about me and God, this individual thing. No. When you read Romans 9, which is one of the big, verse, big chapters that we argue about in nerdy theological debates, when you read that with the understanding that this comes out of a Jewish faith that thought of election and calling and salvation as a communal activity, now it starts to make a little bit more sense. Right? Okay, that's not what the sermon's about. <clears throat> I'm going to stop. <clears throat> but we ought to uh, stop and think about where we've been in our life of faith, not only as individual people, because yes, there is an individual aspect to our faith and our relationship with God, but also where we are as a community, as artists in church. Um, <clears throat> and so in closing, I want to ask you to, to think semi-meditatively about some questions. Uh, and I'm going to ask you some questions about your faith story. Now, it may be that you're not a person of faith uh, and you don't feel like you have a faith story per se, but I can almost guarantee that you do have significant memories in your life that affected you. They may be the reason why you're not a person of faith. And those are still these significant moments, these turning points. They're signposts or mile markers on your uh, spiritual travels, whether it's toward God or away from God. So if you're not a person of faith, you can still engage in these uh, exercises and in this kind of meditative thing, even, even though um, I'm going to ask it in a way that assumes that there is faith. Does that make sense? Okay. So I want to ask you, first of all, to think about your own individual life. What are the major moments from your story with God? If you were playing a game of I'm thinking of a time when about your faith experience, which memory would you choose first? Which one would come next? And which one would come after that? What are the significant memories, the things that Moses might say to you as an individual? Remember and don't forget what God did for you. And then I want you to think of your faith story 
as grafted into, if you will, the bigger faith story that's present in the room here. Now, we could go all around the world and, and be a big global family. I think that's a beautiful idea. But I want to think specifically about your um, presence here at Artisan Church. This morning at uh, about noon, well, that's, that's, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Uh, but today at about noon, <laughs> a little after, you are here at Artisan, whether it's your first time and maybe will be your last time or whether you've been here hundreds of times. Right now, your faith story for this moment has something to do with Artisan Church, and I'm so glad that you're here. Whether, uh, whether you're new here or kind of getting acquainted here or have been here a long time, how does your faith story mix with our faith story? If we were thinking of the story of Artisan Church, what are some of the memories that we would come up with if we played that same game? I'm thinking of a time when... And uh, especially for those of you who are newer, don't feel excluded from this. Here's something interesting about that moment in Deuteronomy when Moses gathered the community together and told them to remember. Do you know how many people in that whole community of the Israelites had been adults during the time that he was asking them to remember? (laughs) By my count, it's three. It's Moses and Caleb and Joshua. The rest of them had all died because that's what God said would happen when they decided they didn't want to go into the promised land just yet because it was scary and the grapes didn't look all that good. Right? He said, okay, you're going to wander and you're all going to die except Caleb and Joshua who are faithful and Moses, you get to walk up but you're going to die before you go in too. Right? So this, this whole community is gathered here. He's telling them, remember and do not forget things that didn't even happen to them. They're things that happened to their parents. And so even if you're very new here, you are joining into our shared faith story and you, you, get to, you get to own part of that collective memory. So it's a beautiful thing. All right, so what, are the, what, is, what parts of the story of Artisan Church are significant when you think about it? And then the last question is, of course, what comes next? What, what is the promised land that we're kind of on the edge of looking over the river at and peering into? What is next for you as a, as a faith, a person of faith? What's next for your story with God? What's next for artists and churches story with God, which you are a part of because you're in this room right now? Uh, is it scary? <laughs> what fears and concerns do you have? Do you think all the Israelites were were super-duper psyched about what was coming next in their life? Some of them were terrified. And when you think back and you're you're doing that remember and do not forget about your own story and artisan's story and how God has been present and faithful with you and with us, what reassurances does that offer you? What hope does that give you for what comes next? Now, I don't want to be too cheerleader-ish. You know, you know that that's not me. If you've been here any length of time, you know I'm not kind of the rah-rah type of person. But I want to say to you that I am really excited for what comes next to Artisan. I don't even know what most of it is. I might have some guesses. <laughs> I, might, I sure do have some hopes. But we get to do that and live that together, and I am so excited to do that with all of you. And I hope... I hope that even if it's an enormous challenge that you're excited for it and excited to be part of it too. And so uh, let's go boldly to the next step with God together.
Amen. Well, speaking of remember and do not forget, I want to invite you now to come and take communion. This is, of course, the the great sacrament of remembrance in the church. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so when we take communion, we're, we're essentially doing the, I'm thinking of a time when Jesus gave everything for us. And so uh, I invite you to come and receive into your own body, his body, the bread representing his body, which was broken for you, the wine and the juice representing his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And at Artisan Church, we have an open table, which means everybody is welcome to come and partake of this. You don't have to be a member here or anywhere. What you simply must do is say, I am trusting in Jesus and following him today in this place. Um, and that's an act of confession of your faith in him. And that's what's required to come and take communion together with us. And um, when you do, um, remember the sacrifice of Jesus and remember also all the people who went before us in the faith, our ancestors, who have all taken communion and remembered Jesus before us. And so we have this sacrament that uh, grounds us in the presence of Christ in our life right now as well as uh, in, communi- in the presence of those who have practiced the community of Christianity for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's truly a beautiful moment for us. Um, we also will have a member of the prayer team here who would like to pray with you if you'd like to receive personalized prayer. And you can feel free to get your kids and have them take communion. If not, please get them as soon as you're done. Um, and we'll sing a couple more songs together. But our table is open this morning. Come and receive the body and blood of the Savior. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.